Welcome back to Tea with PILPG. This is the second half of our mini-series, Adding 3 to 5 Years. Last week, we talked about raising your professionalism in writing and in public. And today, we'll be talking about professionalism in the office and managing up. We will be enjoying a cup of peach tea. Joining me again today are Lauren, Claire, and Nuha. So Claire, what is your strategy for adding three to five years to your professional age in the office? Well, I use some of the tips we talked about last week in terms of my work product and communication style. I haven't really thought about a whole strategy per se though, since people in the office already know me and what to expect of me. You and so many other young professionals often think that having a strategy for professionalism only matters when you are seeking a new job or making new connections. But if you want to stand out, be a superstar, get that promotion, it's just as important to add to your professionalism in the office. Practice, practice, practice. What you do in the office on a day-to-day resonates not only within the office among the senior professionals and your peers, but will also be the muscle memory and the mental memory that you'll be creating that you will then utilize in your professional interactions outside of the office. The first thing you do to up your game, to add three to five years to your professional career in the office, is to have an open mind about opportunities and engaging with others? The answer is yes. Whatever the question, the answer is yes. Are you interested in the Ukrainian constitution? Yes. Are you interested in the situation in South Sudan and civil society engagement? Yes. You never know where a yes will lead. You do know where a no will lead, or a I'm really busy, or time is really tight, or I have seven other projects that were just assigned to me this morning. (laughs) You know where that's going to lead. Nowhere. It's a dead end. You don't know where the yes will lead. It'll lead to more work, but it will also lead to more opportunities, more professional experiences, more face time, so to speak, with other senior professionals, maybe to client contact, maybe to writing opportunities. So say yes. You can always caveat it later, and we'll talk about this in a few moments with managing up, how you manage expectations, how you manage workload, but the initial answer is always yes, and you'd be surprised how often that sets you apart from the other young professionals who are just focused on doing what they've been assigned and just focused on doing their job, not focused on professionalism in the office and using your day-to-day office experience to leverage and to amplify your professional opportunity. There's two other aspects to answer your question about professionalism in the office. And the first is look to others to emulate. Senior professionals have been senior professionals for a good decade or more. They've thought about these things, they've practiced professionalism, Hopefully, by and large, they're professionals. Don't emulate the ones that aren't professional, but find the ones that are professional and emulate not only their behavior, but their ethos. How they approach people, how they approach work, how they approach opportunities, and how they approach professionalism. 
And then think about how you parallel that. You don't want to like dress the exact same way and be a mini me <laughs> and wear the, wear the same yellow tie every day that your professional <laughs> wears the same yellow tie. But you do want to um, emulate that, that ethos. Look at the, the senior folks who are running the firm, who are running the company, and, and think about their worldviews and how they approach the whole A to Z of the operation of the enterprise and emulate that. You can always try it on for size, and if it doesn't fit, you can always pick a different ethos and a different approach to emulate, but try it on in practice and see if it's what fits for you. You also want to do something which other young professionals seldom do, which is give credit where credit is due, and also to give over credit where credit is due. The senior professionals know who wrote the memo, they know who did the research, and there's nothing more professional than for someone who did the bulk of the work, who's the smartest, the fastest person on the team, to share credit equally with all of the team members and to call out other members of the team for special recognition on the work that they have done. Peer-to-peer -peer recognition seldom happens, but is always noticed by the senior professionals. And they're more impressed by the person who's calling out her peers to provide credit or to provide over credit than they are in other situations. So, Paul, I have a question. Um, as a young professional, how do I talk about the mission of my organization in a way that's professional? Yeah, oftentimes, Lauren, young professionals won't incorporate the talking points of the company or the mission statement of the company into their conversation because they don't feel that they've earned the right to own the mission of the company. So in a meeting, they'll defer to the senior professionals to say, well, as you know, you know, we're a global pro bono law firm and our mission is to provide free assistance to countries in peace talks, so let's consider whether we should be engaging on this particular peace talk. There's nothing more impressive than for a senior professional to hear a young professional talk about an opportunity in the context of the company's mission and the company's goals. New hires haven't yet internalized the mission and don't feel empowered to discuss how taking on a new client or creating a new program or doing a new series of negotiation simulations would further the mission of the company because they don't feel like they own the mission of the company. But if you say, well, I think we should do A, B, C, and D because it's consistent with the mission of our company to accomplish these objectives, that's what a fifth-year associate or a fifth-year manager does, not what a newbie does. And so you stand out that way. Similarly, when you're out there in public and you're discussing your company, what people are hearing, it's like the old far side conversation, the old far side cartoon, where the dog says, all the dog hears is blah, 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 food, blah, 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 food, or blah, 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 walk. And that's what people hear when they are looking at you. You're giving your elevator speech for PILPG. They probably already know PILPG. They don't really care about the elevator speech, but they're thinking, Lauren, you look smart, you look articulate, you asked a really good question, you have a firm handshake, I'm going to ask you about PLPG. And when you explain to PLPG, I'm going to insert the name of my company into that elevator speech, 
and think about how you would be presenting my company at public events. And that's what they're visualizing when they're speaking with you and thinking through assessing. Do they want to include you in their reindeer games? Do they want to bring you on as a young employee? Do they want to invite you to join their task force? If you represent your company, your current employer, with dynamism and enthusiasm, that's how you're going to represent them. And that's huge value. So in a sense, you're advertising your ability to advertise every time you use your personal elevator speech or you use PILPG for your company's elevator speech. It's also important to keep any bad day at home or in the office. Look, we all pull all-nighters. We all have crazy clients. We all have way too many emails in our inbox. But when you go out the door into the public environment, you put your tail on. Don't be an Eeyore. Don't take that anxiety, that stress, that overwork out into the public arena where you have an hour long at a working group meeting or at a public event to advertise yourself, advertise your company, and make contacts. Put on your game face, have your elevator speech, be engaged, and then you go back to the office and you deal with those hundred emails, you deal with that crazy client. But you have to be able to shift gears when you're out in the public so that you're constantly upping your game and being professional. So Paul, you talked about how I can talk about the mission of the company, but how can I add to the overall value of the company and really actually contribute to that mission? Claire, one of the things that young professionals do that are one or two years out is they think about their job. They think about doing their job. What senior professionals do and what they want their team to do is to think about the whole of the company and to think about how what they're doing accomplishes not only the objective in their job, but also contributes to the whole of the company and moves the company forward toward its mission. And so you want to be constantly thinking about how can what I do on a daily basis help the company, the nonprofit, the organization to accomplish its mission, to do it better, to do it faster, and to do it in a more impressive fashion than other companies or other nonprofits. You want to embrace the direction that the senior staff is moving in. In class, there is a role for a devil's advocate. But in a company, there's almost no role for a devil's advocate. The board, the senior team, they've come together. They've thought about the mission of the organization. They've thought about the direction of the organization. And now they need all of the reindeer heading in that direction. And as a member of that team, you want to embrace that direction. You may have some concerns, you may have some observations, you have some, may have some ways for modifying that direction, but you put those aside for the moment and you fully engage with the direction that the senior team wants to go, because that's their initial priority, to get all the reindeer harnessed up and heading in the same direction. And then at some point, any good management team will pause and say, okay, for the next 30 minutes, let's talk about ideas for improving the way we're heading in this direction, any course corrections, any alterations to the direction that we want to go. They'll brainstorm, you'll say your piece, you'll put the harnesses on, and the reindeer will all head back in the same direction again. Because that's how a company accomplishes its objective, 
with some room for course corrections. But if the very beginning, the senior team says, this is an initiative that we're launching, our client needs this assistance, this is the type of memo we're going to write, and you say, well, that sounds interesting, but I got four different ideas about maybe we should do this, and maybe we should do that. That's what first-year associates do, and they don't become second-year associates. But a fifth-year associate moves in that direction, knows the senior team, will wait for an appropriate time to say, okay, now that we've got some speed, some momentum, some distance, what do we think about any course suggestions or alterations? So be heavily engaged, but don't be overly engaged. Don't fall into the devil's advocate chair. That all makes sense for engaging with coworkers, but what exactly do you mean by managing up? Managing up is a term that I've picked up from an article called Managing Your Boss by Gabarro and Cotter. And it's important to know it's not manipulating up, it's managing up. It's about knowing your manager's working style, meeting style, and to helping your manager accomplish her objectives in the style in which she has decided she wants to accomplish them and in the style that she is most comfortable accomplishing them. There may be a five minute chit chat at time about how to amend or modify that style, but don't try to morph your manager style to your style. Morph your style to the style of your manager to help the manager accomplish her objectives. So for instance, find out how your manager likes to receive information. Some of us read emails. Some of us make phone calls. Some of us sit together and do action-oriented meetings. It's completely irrelevant which approach is most efficient. It's only relevant as to which approach your manager has decided she's going to use. Does she want her information in emails for any number of reasons in the way in which she manages her workload? Or does she prefer her information in a quick phone call or in a face-to-face -face meeting? Does your manager prefer to work through emails late at night? Or do they prefer to set a meeting for half an hour and hammer through those action items with you in person? Find out what that style is, embrace it, and be responsive to it. Always clarify your manager's expectations. Don't assume that you know, because you observe what your manager is doing and how your manager operates, but simply ask him, how do you prefer to receive information? When do you prefer to receive information? Some individuals do their writing and their reading in the morning, their meetings in the afternoon, others flip side around. Some do brainstorming before breakfast, some do brainstorming after afternoon tea. Find out what suits their rhythm and then help them maximize their ability to produce by fitting into their rhythm. Always keep your manager well informed, both the good news and the bad news. Bad news doesn't go away, it just gets worse. So if you hide the bad news, your manager can't deal with it. Now if you share the bad news with your manager, she'll say, oh, darn, and then she'll start talking about how you fix the problem, how you sort it out, how you move forward. But if you don't share the bad news or the problem or the issue with your manager, it just continues to grow and grow and grow 
And then when you do share it with your manager, the first thing he says is, why didn't you tell me? And all of a sudden, you own the bad news. Not because you were the cause of it, but because you hid it and it got worse. And you're responsible for the part of it that got worse. So always share the bad news right away and have a proposed plan for dealing with it in a way that you anticipate meets your manager's style and your manager's approach to dealing with problems. Always share the bad news first and then share the good news. That way the meeting always ends on a happy thought. When someone says, I have good news and bad news, always say, give me the bad news. Then you deal with it and you say, oh, now give me some good news. And then you are associated with the good news, the meeting ends with that point, and you've got a plan for troubleshooting the bad news. So Lauren, how would you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 for managing up? I would give myself probably a seven. Seven? Yeah. Why minus three points? Well, I think, I think I'm really good at receiving feedback, asking for feedback, getting track changes, edits, like things that I can improve in the future, and actually internalizing that. I, but after everything you've said here, it made me realize that I should be anticipating that and asking it in the first place. So instead of waiting until I do something wrong and then figuring out how to fix it, I should be sitting down in the first place and doing that with my boss, especially now that I'm constantly changing jobs and getting new bosses over different summers. That's really valuable to do up front instead of after I've made a mistake. That's a helpful suggestion. Claire, how would you help Lauren move from a 7 to a 10? What other types of things could she be doing to improve her management up? I think something that we all could be doing is to uh, really use our manager's time very selectively to best accomplish goals um, that you know we I think we really need to distinguish between what the manager needs to be involved in and what would be wasting his or her time and I think we can all put in a little bit more time to really think about what the manager needs versus what the manager doesn't really need great so you've moved her to an eight now Nuha how do you move her to a nine I would suggest to always be dependable and honest. Um, never make promises you can't keep. Instead, be honest about your capabilities and workload. All right, Lauren, we've got you to a nine. How do you get yourself to a 10? Well, I think the last thing I really need to do is just be aware of my own communication style and how that can be perceived by my manager. I mean, a lot of times they might have a different interpretation of how I'm communicating than how I intended it to be, and so I need to be able to adjust that. Okay, so being more self-aware, being dependable and honest, and being very effective in the way in which you communicate to your managers. That'll get you to a 10. Thanks, Paul. I guess I hadn't realized I need to be a manager in terms of managing up, even if I'm an intern. You're right. Many young professionals don't actually know that, and they don't embrace it. That's why practicing these basic principles of professionalism, managing up, that we've outlined here today, can really, really set you apart and add three to five years to your professional age. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to know more, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter or on our website at PILPG.org. If you have a tea 
or a discussion suggestion, let us know on Twitter at hashtag Tea with PILPG. Until next time, this is Tea with PILPG, brewing excellence around the world. <laughs>